0: Today, we're going to start looking at the Lord's Prayer as it is found in the Gospel of Matthew, the 6th chapter, the ninth through the 13th verses. And as we do so, uh, we're going to be looking at six different parts to this prayer. Today, we're going to cover the first three but I want to go ahead and go over the entirety of uh, the six parts with you. First of all, first of all, we pray our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And there at that point in time, we are making sure that we understand and we remember who he is and who we are in relation to him. Then second, thy kingdom come, thy will be done On earth as it is in heaven, we get our priorities straight. We make sure that we understand who's in charge and who's supposed to be following. And then, number three, give us this day our daily bread. We share with Him our needs, our needs to uh, just continue on in life with Him. And then, number four, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors we confess and receive forgiveness of our sin. Number five, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Having been forgiven of our confessed transgressions, we pray that he'll help us to maintain purity and holiness in our lives. And then we come to a concluding expression of faith. Number six, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. First of all, whenever Jesus begins to talk to us about prayer, he tells us, as I said before, don't use meaningless repetition. And I'm afraid that the Lord's prayer can become just that. And so that's why I want us to look at the different parts because he goes ahead and he says, instead of doing that, pray like this. And when he says pray like this, he doesn't mean pray these precise words over and over again. What he's saying is this is the template. This is the model. This is something for you to follow. Pray like this. Be sure and cover these things when you pray. And so he begins with our Father. Notice our Father not just your father, our father. Here, Jesus is identifying with us. He identifies with us, and in praying our father, we are identifying with him. Our father, the relationship between a child and a father, is an intimate and close relationship. But notice this, not everyone can call uh, our heavenly Father, Father. Not everyone can call God Father. And to, to, to make this clear, you know, who is it that is a child of God? That we need to know this. We need to know if we should even be praying this prayer. And so let's understand that not everyone can call Him Father. Look in your Bibles at. John, the first chapter, the 10th through the 14th verses. There, speaking of Jesus, John says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the privilege To become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He gave them. The right, or he gave them the privilege to become children of God. You see, we're not born children of God. We are born into this world, but then we must be born again. We must be born of God. And this, as we see here, is not something that we can just decide to do. It's not something that we can inherit from our parents or from our grandparents. We uh, must come into an adoptive relationship with God. And the only way to do that is to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice it says, it says, and those who did not receive him, but then it goes and says, but as many as received him, to them, he gave the right. God gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not through our parents, not through heredity, not through anything like that, nor of the will of the flesh. We can't just decide, I'm going to be a child of God, nor of the will of man. We can't just will our way into being his child, but of God. It is something that comes from God, and it only comes when we come to him the way that he has called us to come to him. I think you can understand this clearer if you look at the uh, second chapter of Acts. Then it becomes pretty clear that just because you believe in God doesn't make you a child of God. Just because you go to church, doesn't make you a child of God, Just because you uh, believe that uh, Jesus Christ arose from the dead. That does not make you a child of God. You become a child of God whenever God makes you a child of God. And the way it happens is this. Look what happens in Acts, the second chapter, the 36 through the 42nd verses. Therefore, this is Peter's, uh, first sermon to, uh, or after Jesus has risen from the dead on the day of Pentecost. You need to be aware of this. And you've got to realize that they have been tearing in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has come upon them and, uh, there has been A loud noise. Uh, There's great excitement. People are speaking in other tongues and people are coming up and understanding what they're saying. And uh, there's great concern as to what's going on. And then Peter begins to explain to them that this is that which was promised through the prophet Joel, talking about the coming of the Messiah. And Then he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now, you need to picture this uh, there are religious people that have come from all over Israel and uh, Judea, and they are there for this special occasion of Pentecost. They are religious people. They believed in God. They were worshiping God. They were serving God, and yet they're not saved. And this is an important point, and I hope that you understand what I'm saying because you believe in God, doesn't put you in a right standing with God. Uh, The Apostle James says, you say you believe God is one, you do well. The devils believe also and tremble. You see, believing in the existence of God, believing that there's only one true God, does not put you in a right relationship with God. It puts you uh, not any closer to him, than the devils. They believe in him just as strongly, maybe more strongly than a lot of people do. Let's face it. Well, the thing is, there were those religious leaders. There were those people who had seen all that had happened. They had seen Jesus. They had heard his teaching. And they had been, had been a part of that crowd that at one point yelled, crucify, crucify. And they were part and parcel to putting this rabble rouser, this agitator, this troublemaker on the cross, thinking that they were doing God a favor by doing so. And yet now the evidence is clear that he has risen from the dead. And to them, this is like a horror movie, someone that they tried to destroy has now come back from the dead and they are scared to death. And that's why it says they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, repent, each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So you see, it's only whenever you come to God on God's terms, and that is through Jesus Christ, that you become a child of God. Now let's move on. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be held in a reverence and awe. You see, God is our father. He is our heavenly father, but he is in heaven. He is holy. He is not a part of us. Yes, his holy spirit dwells here with us, but God rules and reigns in heaven, and his holiness separates us from him, and our sinfulness separates us from him. And he's had to deal with that. And so we have come to know him and to become his children. And so we acknowledge that he is high and holy and we reverence his name and we hold him and his name in reverence and awe. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today who have no reverence for God. They have no fear of God they could care less about God. They thumb their nose at him. But in our hearts, those of us that he has adopted as his children, we hold his name in reverence and awe. Thy kingdom come. Now here you see we start to get our priorities straight. We, uh, we realize that we have already entered into his kingdom. We have relinquished our rights to our lives. We have tried it our way. We've discovered that his way is better and we are living his, his kingdom in the here and now, but we still long to be closer to him. We long for his kingdom to come here on earth. And so we pray thy kingdom come first of all in my heart, but then Into the lives of those people around me and into this world, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You see, at this point, the believer is much more concerned about living in God's kingdom than trying to establish his or her own kingdom. Now, I want you to be aware of three different kinds of people. First of all, there are those who are without Christ. There are those who have not made him the Lord of their lives. And whatever I say made him, they have not received him. They have not received him for who and what he is for being the son of God who died on the cross so that we might be forgiven and washed and cleansed through his precious blood. He paid the price there for our sin that separated us from Him and put us at enmity with Him, so that we could become a part of His family and be uh, 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 and be able to call Him Father. And so we have now become uh, His. But there are these people who who live in the world that in their lives Jesus is not present, and they rule and reign in their own hearts. They decide what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And these people you can call and label self-centered people. I don't mean they don't, uh, con- they're not concerned about other people. There's some, uh, godless people that have a sense of, uh, of, 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 of care and tenderness toward other people. And that's, even that is a part of the light of God showing in them because we are made in his image. It's just been tarnished by sin and by the fall. But then there are those who have uh, come to know that Jesus is the son of God, and maybe they've invited him into their heart, and maybe they're trying to live the way that they think he wants them to live. And so you could say that they are with Christ, but they are still seated on the throne of their heart. And so they are trying to call the shots. They are saying uh, what they're going to do for God. They are picking and choosing what they're going to do for God and what they're not going to do for God. And uh, they are defining who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. They are defining uh, what's going to happen. They are still on the throne of their lives and they're trying to shape God and make God into the God that they want him to be instead of serving him as their king. And so you see, these people are still self-centered people. They are still uh, trying to run their own lives and tell God what they want done in their lives and what how they want him to help them uh, do him favors even from time to time. So they may be with Christ, but they're not born again. They're not subjects of Jesus. They just know about him. And they know some things about him, but they haven't surrendered their lives to him. And so then there is another group of people. And these are those who have been born again. Those who have relinquished their lives to him. Those who have realized that whenever Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he was speaking the truth. They may have tried their way, and their way was wrong. They may have tried their way and tried to get God to accept it, and he does not. And so finally, they recognize and realize that Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and they need to receive what he has done for the forgiveness of their sin the sin of their self-centeredness, of their rebellion toward him and even trying to tell him what to do. And so it's like you're driving down the road in a car and you are in the driver's seat and Jesus is sitting in the passenger seat and you realize this isn't the way my life is supposed to be. And you pull over on the side of the road and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, let's change spots. You take the wheel of my life. From now on, I want to follow you and I want you to be the one who guides and directs and determines what happens in my life. I give control of my life. I give direction of my life to you. Brothers and sisters, is this you this morning? I hope that it is. If not, then you need to take time to examine your life and find out where it is that you need to relinquish control to him. Now, let me tell you that uh, there's more to this. You see, even after you have begun to live with him as your Lord and you have relinquished control of your life and you're trying to follow him and read his word and, and study and find out exactly and pray and listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. You're still going to have some growing areas, and you're still going to find from time to time those areas of your life that just through maybe not understanding, you have not yet turned over to his lordship. Those areas that you have just gone ahead, and you are still king or queen in that area. Pastors, if they're not careful, their churches can become their kingdom. They can be doing God's work. They can be working real hard, but they're trying to establish and they don't even, haven't even come to recognize it yet. The kingdom of John or the kingdom of Bill or the kingdom of Joe because they've been just listening to their denominational leaders and doing what they think those leaders want them to do. And, uh, in the process, they've come to the place to where they're just working real hard to build their church and they've forgotten about the kingdom, and they're listening to their leaders instead of listening to the Lord. It's not that you don't listen to your leaders, but the Lord comes first, and his kingdom is much bigger than any denomination, any particular uh, uh, group uh, of of Christians. Well, how about in your home? Have you relinquished uh, the being king or queen in your own home? Men, If you're thinking that your house is your castle and you're the king, forget about it. You are the head of your household, but your household is the Lord's, and you are the Lord's. And men, you have been entrusted with a wife, and you have been entrusted with children by God, and you have a responsibility to him for doing the things that he thinks need to be done in their lives to help them have the life that he created them for. So are you trying to make your kids and your wife be who you want them to be? Or are you exploring them and exploring God and trying to find out who he wants them to be and then helping them to be the people that he created them to be? Man, it's like uh, the like the Lord presented you with a feisty, spunky, beautiful young lady one day, and said, "Bill, this is Susie. Susie is precious to me, and I want to bless her. I want her to have a good life. And there's some things that I cannot by myself provide her with. I need your help. Will you help me help Susie realize?" the best possible life that she can have, the life that I created her to live and to enjoy. And ladies, wives, the Lord has spoken to you and he has said, Susie, this is Bill. He's a good old guy and I just think the world of him. He's precious to me, but there are things in his life that I cannot provide by myself. I need your help in helping him to have the complete life that I have for him. Will you help me help Bill have the best life he can have, Susie? When it comes to your kids, husbands, wives, moms, dads, they have been entrusted to you, little human beings entrusted into your care to help them to become who he created them to be not who you think they ought to be or should be. And so I want to encourage you, not just husbands, wives, and children, but all the people around you in your life. They have been entrusted to you by God and look to him as to how you're supposed to be interacting with them, providing for them. Serve him by exploring how you're supposed to relate to them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then finally, the third part we're going to be looking at today. Give us this day our daily bread. And that doesn't mean just give us a meal today. Don't just, it's not just about giving us the food for the day. In fact, uh, literally translated, it's talking about giving us, it says, give us our bread for Tomorrow but it's much deeper than that. What we're talking about, you need, you see, we need to understand what we're doing here is we ask for what we need to keep on living for him. When living this way, uh, when you're living with him as the Lord of your life, you're in a team with him. You're working with him and you are doing the things that he wants you to do and he is going to supply all your needs in being the person that he has called and created you to be. And this uh, involves being a father. It's not just what you need to to uh, supply yourself with food. What do you need in order to be the best father that you can be to your children, to be the best husband that you can be for your wife, to be the best you uh, in accomplishing those things that he has called you to do? What do you need in those areas? This is what we're talking about. You see, we're now in teamwork with God. Whenever I was serving large churches, uh, I would always have staff meetings with our ministry staff and uh, other staff members as well. And we would get together at least once a week and we'd sit around a table and everybody would, uh, line out what they were planning on doing for that week, uh, in connection with moving, uh, our congregation forward with doing, accomplishing the jobs that we had to do there. And a part of every meeting, I tried to make sure if it was necessary that I asked them, what do you need from me in order to accomplish what you are going to be doing? And the thing is, is that God wants to know what you feel you need from him in order to accomplish what you need to do. Now, sometimes, as they would share, it would turn out that they may be getting to go down a wrong pathway. And I would have to say, no, 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 this isn't the way we need to go. And so this becomes, this give us this day, our daily bread becomes a time of planning and plotting and getting all of our uh, things straight. And it also becomes a place to where as you are talking about your needs with him, he's going to be talking to you about what you need as well. And one of the things that we all need in our lives are balance if you're going to be the best worker in whatever job he's put you in, if you're going to be the best father, if you're going to be the best mother, if you're going to be the best uh, w- wife or husband or whatever, whatever position you are in in life and wherever you are in life, there needs to be a balance of priorities because let's face it, If you're of working age, you need to be working to support your family. But do you let your work rob your family of your time and your presence? Or you also uh, need to be involved in church. Do you let church occupy all of your spare time and again, neglect your family Uh, Do you give yourself to your church and your family so that you have no time to exercise, no time to play, no time to pursue hobbies or to be creative and uh, to maybe explore other ways that the Lord wants to use you? Do you have time for all of those things? You see, this is one of those places where you realize that God has given you enough hours in the day. What kind of steward are you being of those hours, whenever you're looking at his priorities? Well, this is important, and I think that uh, that that Peter kind of sums all this stuff up in another way. Because in First Peter, the fifth chapter, the sixth through the seventh verses, he says this. Therefore, this is reading from the Amplified Version. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. He is your heavenly father and he cares for you. Well, what do you do with this? I would hope in the next few days that you'll examine yourselves in light of the Lord's prayer and ask yourself, have you really lined out in your own heart who he is and who you are? Have you got your priorities straight as far as kingdom living? Are you, uh, uh, living with him being king, or are you trying to tell him how he needs to be taking care of you? Are you going to him with your needs? You see, one of the things that you may think uh, is wrong in your life uh, may be because you're not being a good steward of your time, and he wants to help you in all these areas because he cares for you. I tell you if you haven't uh stepped off the throne of your life and turned it over to the Lord i would- love, I'm, I want to pray with you right now about that, if you would like to receive him as Lord. Uh, I encourage you to pray with me right now, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry that i-i ask you into my life and yet I haven't let you be on my throne, and so right now, Lord, I give you my life. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I thank you and I ask you to forgive me for my sin and wash me and cleanse me. I now look to you as being my Lord and my Savior. And from now on, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. Don't just come into my life. Step onto the throne of my heart and be my king, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.